Good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Today we continue with our message series on the Beatitudes. And our Beatitude today is one that is going to be very timely for us with the issues that we're facing as a city and country right now around systemic and racial injustices. That what we're going to see from the Word of God here today is that God is calling His church to be peacemakers. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let me pray for us as we head into this message. Father God, as we have heard through these laments, as we have expressed through singing that our hearts have been just so heavy with all the events happening this past week, with all the protests, with all the marches, with all the riots, with all the violence and Father, for many of us, we're just having a really difficult time wrestling with it in our hearts and knowing what to do with it and knowing how to process it. Father, would you be with us during this moment? Would your word bring clarity and hope and point our eyes to Jesus? That, Father, that in your word, would we be able to see our Prince of Peace? It's in his name we pray. Amen. In 2018, the Winter Olympics was hosted in South Korea. And one of the biggest moments leading up to the Olympics was when it was announced that North and South Korea were going to come together under one flag. And this was monumental. That since the 1950s, after a bitter war, both nations had incredible animosity towards each other, shooting missiles at one another, acts of terrorism, that there was a lot of bad blood between North and South Korea. But at these Olympics, they joined hands and even formed a women's hockey team together. But this peace did not last long. By 2019, both countries were doing military tests and blaming each other for escalating situations. Now the leaders of both countries have maintained a strong relationship, but clearly the peace and harmony that they expressed at the Olympics wasn't nearly as deep as what we saw on the cameras. You know, I share this with you because so often when it comes to peace, we think we have it, but it's really just an illusion. The events of this past week are proof of it, that as we watched on the news with all the protests and marches all across the country and world in response to the trauma and pain of the violence committed against George Floyd and all the systemic and racial injustices overall, some would say that these protesters are disrupting the peace. What I would say is that the protests are only exposing that peace was never really there. That instead we've become comfortable and turned a blind eye towards injustices in our society. That as long as I'm not negatively impacted, for me, everything is at peace. But for others who aren't so fortunate, oh well, that's their issue. That is a fraudulent peace. It is an illusion. To say that there is peace when there is none is not the work of a Christian witness. It is the work of a false prophet. In Jeremiah 6.14, it says that they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jeremiah here is calling out false prophets who are healing the wound of my people lightly. Lightly. 
In other words, he's saying that you're just putting a band-aid over a gaping wound that is bleeding out. It's not going to heal anything. These false prophets didn't want to deal with God, didn't want to deal with what God had to say, so they were just telling people what they wanted to hear. Now, in that moment, they might get the short-term fix. They might be able to calm people's fears and concerns in that moment. But when the issue arises again, they bleed out again. Laquan McDonald, Eric Garner, Bodum John, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and the list goes on and on. To say there is peace when there is no peace is not the gospel. Our world, our city, needs peacemakers more than ever. You know, in our Beatitude today, Jesus calls his followers to be peacemakers. And it's in these Beatitudes, Jesus shows us the kind of person who belongs to the kingdom. That these Beatitudes are not given for your consideration, but for your obedience. Peacemaking is not optional. It's proof that your life has been transformed. It's proof that you're born again. It is proof that you are adopted. Notice the blessing of a peacemaker. It says that you will be called the sons and daughters of God. If Jesus is your king, you will look like your king, which is peace, which is a peacemaker. If you are led by the Spirit, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. If you are living for a heavenly kingdom and not an earthly kingdom, you will be ambassadors of reconciliation. If you are a Christ follower, you will be a peacemaker. You will be his agents of peace. He's not calling on politicians, diplomats, kings, queens, presidents, Nobel Prize peace winners. He's not calling organizations like the United Nations. He is calling us, the church, to be the peacemakers because we are the ones that can offer the greater and better peace, the peace of God. So with that, let's first ask this. What is peace? What is peace? Now, some of us might think that it means that it's everyone agreeing with me. No disagreements or no pushback. And some of the parents listening in are saying amen to that. Or for some of us, it means not rocking the boat. It's not making things tense or awkward. You know, it's just making sure that, that everything is nice. Be a good team player. Is this the peace that Jesus is talking about? No. God's peace goes much deeper than this. The best way to understand biblical peace is with the word shalom. It's a word used throughout the Bible that talks about the peace of God. It's a word that speaks of how everything in creation will be in right relationship with the creator. It means the harmony, flourishing, and well-being of everything. And the best way to understand this is by looking at what it means for us to have the peace of God. You know, in Romans 5.1, it says that we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God first means the war is over. The animosity is gone. The hostility is gone. And as many of you might remember from our Romans message series, the first three chapters was all about how much we hated God and rejected God, suppressed the truth, exchanged the creator of the universe for idols. In Romans 5, 8, it says, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 7 says that the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. Our natural disposition as humanity towards God is never neutrality, it is hostility. And this hostility towards God has led to hostility towards others. 
After Adam and Eve sinned against God, what was the next thing that happened? Cain killing his brother Abel. From that day forward, our world has been patterned by violence because there is violence in our hearts towards God. In order to have peace, the war with God has to stop. That's the first step. But shalom goes one step further. Peace with God is not that we've just stopped fighting with God, but God, but God now brings us into a loving relationship with him. This is shalom. It's when two parties that have been fighting now come together in love. Where there was once hate in the heart is now replaced with the goodness and righteousness of God. And it's from that right relationship with the Creator, harmony and flourishing comes. So if this is peace, then what is peacemaking? A peacemaker is one who is actively pursuing the reconciliation and flourishing and harmony on every single level, whether it's in your personal sphere, your community, your city, your world. Now, this is so important because many assume that the only peace that matters is the one between me and God and no one else. And I would agree that nothing is more important than our relationship with God, and we'll talk more about this later, but peacemaking is not less than a right relationship with God. It is more. Once again, it's in these Beatitudes we have this vertical and horizontal di dimensions to it. That the first half is primarily focused on our vertical relationship with God. Poor in spirit, mourning sin, being humble and meek before God, seeking his righteousness. And the second half focuses on our horizontal relationships with others. That this dynamic that we see with the Beatitudes is something that we see throughout all of Scripture. That we read about faith without works is a dead faith. The greatest commandment is to love God. And what's the second greatest? Is to love our neighbors. True orthodoxy always leads to true orthopraxy. That as an American church, we have often divorced our beliefs from social action. This is not the way of Jesus. Our relationship with God always impacts our relationships with others and the world around us. If you claim to have the peace of God in your life, it should be spilling out into every relationship and context God puts you in. Peacemaking is both a spiritual and social pursuit. You know, this is why on Tuesday night, many of us in the church joined in a peace march in Bronzeville, led by leaders from the faith community, many committed to the gospel. And for me and for many others, to join in this march and for you praying from home, it was a powerful act of worship because it was during this time we were making much of God, that in this march we were reflecting him because our God is a peace-loving God, a peace-making God, and God's children will always have the character of their father. What he loves, they will love. What he pursues, we will pursue. Justice, peace, mercy, reconciliation. Peacemaking is the work of reconciliation and flourishing and harmony on every single level. Now let me ask you, does this describe you? Is peacemaking at every level a priority to you? As a church and as Christ followers, we are people who bring peace to others because we have the peace of God, but the reverse is also true. 
If we are in conflict with God, we will not bring peace to others. We cannot give to others what we do not have in our hearts. And this principle takes us back to our previous beatitude, are we pure in heart? Once again, these beatitudes all build off each other like a ladder. Now, how does this all work here? Well, to be pure in heart means that you're devoted to one thing, to one person, God himself. That is with this focused and devoted heart, there is contentment, peace, and harmony. But for those who are impure in heart, it fundamentally means that you have have a heart that is divided. That in James chapter 4, it says that this person is torn apart by the passions at war within them. That this is why there is strife in the city, strife in the family and marriage, strife in in relationships, conflict in friendships, conflicts in, in our churches, because there is conflict in our hearts. There can be no lasting peace until we have peace with God, until we admit that we are at war with him. Peace will not come. For example, if we want true and lasting peace around racism, We can't do it just by fixing systems and policies which are critically important. It's confronting the sin in the heart that breeds racism. If we want true and lasting peace for gang violence that we see on the streets, it's not going to be solved by putting more police on the streets. It's confronting the sin that makes us want to pick up the gun in the first place. If we want true and lasting peace for struggling and impoverished neighborhoods, it's not just by giving tax breaks or by having affordable housing. It's confronting the sin of corruption and greed that puts money before people. There can be no peace unless we confess the sin that is in our hearts. But here's the good news. It's when we confess and repent before God, Jesus Christ becomes your peacemaker. He reconciles us to God. Jesus takes all the animosity. He takes all the wrath. He takes all the hostility and he takes it to the cross. Our Prince of Peace goes to war with sin, death, and Satan on our behalf and he wins. That Jesus tears down the curtain right in half, separating us between us and God. That Jesus breaks down the wall the wall of dividing hostility, not just between us and God, but also between us and other people. That it's in Christ he gives us the power to break through the bondage of racist pride. That I don't need to find my acceptance and worth in being white or black or brown or yellow. But it's by being in love with God and being loved by him. And because of that, I have no desire to power up over other people because of my skin color. Because we are all saved by grace. Before the cross, racist pride is shattered. It's also in Jesus we can have an enduring hope. Because when we look at the systemic and racial injustices, it can feel so hopeless. The cycle will never end. The shame will never end. The violence will never end. But in Christ, we have incredible hope. 1 John 4.4 He who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
There is no power. There is no injustice. There is no opposition. There is no scheming that Jesus cannot conquer. That all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. So do not grow weary in doing good because your Savior goes before you and he is powerful and he is unstoppable. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Justice and mercy will prevail. Do you see the kind of power and hope and peace we have in the gospel? Do you have this peace with God? If so, you will be a peacemaker. Now, what does this all practically look like? You know, let me give you three categories of peacemaking. First, help others to have peace with God. Second, are you at peace with others? And then finally, are you helping others to have peace with one another? So first, helping others have peace with God. Peacemaking is ultimately announcing good news, that Jesus has saved sinners, that this is the peace the world needs more than anything else, and this is the ultimate peace Jesus came to bring. That when you think about it, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, people longed for him to bring political peace. They wanted Jesus to conquer Rome. They wanted their land back. But Jesus didn't do that, not because political peace wasn't important. It's because political peace would mean very little if there is no eternal peace with God. When you consider Jesus and when he came into human history, he came so during a time of great oppression. The Roman Empire took power from the Jews and controlled them with an iron fist. Jews were slaughtered and being unfairly taxed, subjugated. They were experiencing political corruption. And if you notice that when it came to these issues, Jesus was constantly encouraging people to see the bigger picture, to see the greater peacemaking work, and that's to call people to repentance. Now, this is not to say that Jesus or the rest of the Bible didn't speak into social issues or care about them. Oh, it did. In the Old Testament, there are laws protecting the widow, immigrants, and the vulnerable. Jesus ministered in Samaria. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. He healed the sick and the oppressed. He fed the hungry. We read in the book of Acts that the early church was busy caring for widows. In the epistles, Paul is pleading with the church to break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says the true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So to be perfectly clear, Jesus and the Bible and the movement of the early church has always been aware and engaged in social issues. But what we see modeled in scripture is that we are always to remember the bigger picture. True peace is walking rightly with God. It's letting everyone know that the peace we all hunger for is ultimately found in Christ. This peacemaking work is called evangelism. It's bringing people to a peaceful relationship with God. And this can take on many forms. It can mean sharing the gospel with others. It can be an invitation that leads to a spiritual conversation. It can be good deeds and acts of mercy that sets up the work of evangelism. If you really want to be a peacemaker, tell others about Jesus. 
For some of you watching today, how are you responding to God? If you do not know God and have not believed in Christ for your salvation, will you make peace with him today? Will you do it right here, right now in your home? Here's the second application. Are you at peace with others? Now, this is important because if we're going to be serious about being agents of peace in the city and the world, first you have to ask, is your house in order? That if you're crying out for mercy and for change and for reconciliation before you demand it from others, are you showing that in your own relationships? And as I'm talking about this, does someone come to mind for you? Is there someone that you're avoiding, a phone number that you won't pick up, are you blocking people on social media? Peacemakers seek to be right with other people. In Matthew 18, Jesus says that if you know a brother or sister has something against you, go to them. It doesn't say wait for them, go to them. But this isn't how we like to do it, right? The way we like to do it is this. Well, if they got a problem with me, they know where to find me. This is not God-honoring and Christ-exalting. A peacemaker is proactive and takes the responsibility to make things right. We are initiators of reconciliations. We are the first one to throw the rope to the other side. Now, what I mean by that is that peacemaking is like bridge building. You're working to create an access between two parties that are far from each other. And the way you do that is by having a series of ropes or cables being connected from one side to another. That one cable goes this way, this goes this way, and it just keeps building and building and building until you have a bridge that is very strong. But this is usually the problem. So often, no one is willing to throw the first rope. If you want to be a peacemaker, you will throw that first cord. Maybe it'll cost you, maybe you'll suffer a bit, but that's what a peacemaker does. And that, frankly, is what Jesus did. Practically, what does it look like? It means making that first phone call. It means being hospitable and sharing a socially distant meal with somebody. It means praying for them. It means pursuing racial reconciliation. It's acknowledging and confessing to individuals who are different in color than us that there is a problem. That in America, we are not viewed all equally and treated with equity. Reconciliation means that we own up to the fact that we have played a role in that. It means owning up to how we've been part of the pain, that maybe we haven't been explicitly racist, but we've been complicit and we've been silent. That we've leveraged our advantages in society at the expense of others. But it also means this. Racial reconciliation means also expressing gratefulness. As an Asian American, I know that the freedoms I get to enjoy and the hope that I have and the opportunity that my sons have before them has happened because the black community has spoke up. That God has used their voice, their sacrifice, their courage so that all, and not just black lives, but that all lives can live with greater peace and blessing. To my black brothers and sisters, thank you for all that you have done and for all that you continue to do for everybody, for all of us. And here's the final application. Peace between people. Now, this one for me is the hardest one to proactively pursue because I don't like creating 
waves. But here's the thing. Peacemaking always creates waves. Think about Jesus. He went into the temple and flipped over tables because God was being dishonored. Jesus confronted people. He called out sin, especially amongst the religious people. Jesus didn't care about keeping the status quo. He made waves. He brought attention to serious wrongs. And Jesus stepped into problems like our problem with sin that wasn't his personally, but he made it personal because Jesus was a peacemaker. Peacemaking always makes waves. Are you willing to make waves for the sake of peace? Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. Blessed are the peaceable. He says, blessed are the ones who work for peace. Because when you do so, you are following the example of your leader, Jesus Christ. Now, what does this look like, especially around our cultural moment and around Black Lives Matters. Let me just give you a couple here. First, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Our culture, especially with social media, it is always a race about who can talk the most and talk the loudest and talk the quickest. But the problem when we do this is that we'll never truly understand the hurt and history of people. That if you think that in five minutes of reading an article or, or looking at something, uh, a post on Instagram, that it now makes you an expert in people's pain, a pain that someone has had to live with and process with for decades of their life, that is foolish pride. And you will do more harm than good because you will speak ignorantly and with little depth. Many celebrities right now are being blasted for their tone-deaf posts that they're trying to show how woke they are when everyone can see that they're just using this as an opportunity to build their brand. Instead, we must be quick to listen to other people's pain and perspective. We have to ask good questions, and it's in that process we will grow in humility, in empathy, and service. When you think that you have learned it all, you have stopped becoming an agent of peace. Secondly, this peacemaking means acknowledging the hurt. One of the ways you show someone matters is by acknowledging that what they feel matters. The anger, the tears, the sorrow that they feel didn't just come out of thin air, but it came from decades and generations of trauma. And recently, God opened my eyes to just how ignorant I've been to all of this. You know, this, this past week has been really hard on our city and in our suburbs, getting pummeled by violence and looting and rioting. And on Saturday, in the Loop and in the South Loop, you guys were right in the thick of it, and it was terrifying. Fire alarms are going off, windows are being smashed, you know, chaos on the streets. It was a traumatic time for many of you. And over the last few days, this rioting and violence has spilled into other neighborhoods and suburbs. I live in McKinley Park, and nothing ever really happens where I live. But as I was hearing siren after siren drive by, by, by my door, the panic I felt in my heart was crippling. When I looked at my front door, I was fearful. And I've had a chance to reflect on what this all means in my own heart. And God exposed in my own heart the privilege and comfort that I take for granted. That yes, you know what, for one or two days, my neighborhood didn't feel very safe. But now, it's slowly back to normal. 
But did you know that we have neighbors in the west and south side of our city who don't get this relief? This panic and this anxiety and this fear is an everyday reality. Can you imagine raising your family, taking your kids to school in this kind of environment that when the summer rolls around, it's not a time to be excited, it's a time to be really scared because the violence is going to ramp up. Friends, what you felt this past week was just a small glimpse of what others have had to endure for decades and for generations. Do you see that their hurt and frustration that we see in these protests and marches, they don't, just, they don't just come out of the thin air. It comes from a lot of trauma and pain over a very long time. Let God use this to grow your heart in compassion and to action. Next, in this kind of peacemaking, use your power and privilege for those who don't have it. You know, we're a culture that is all about our rights. If you want to make peace, we have to give up our rights. Remember that Christ was in the form of God, yet he did not grasp what was his by right. He left heaven, he stepped down, and he came into our chaos and pain. Why? To make peace. You will not make peace if you only care about your rights and watching out for yourself. You know, think about Christ. If he stood on his rights, what would have happened to us? We would be in hell forever. You don't make peace by standing on your rights. You make peace by using it to lift others in their hurt and despair. It means using your time, your money, your experience, your connections to meet the needs of others. It means speaking up and showing up. You know, once again, you know, on Tuesday... I participated in a peace march in Bronzeville with many of you from the church. And I'm really embarrassed to say this, but this is the first march of this kind that I've been a part of. And I'm embarrassed to say that because it highlights the privilege that I've had. It highlights my lack of empathy. It highlights my lack of understanding of God's justice and desire to see shalom everywhere. It highlighted my cowardice. As a pastor in the city for over 13 years now, it should not have taken me this long to show up. And for that, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. God literally needed to bring a pandemic to change me. That during this virus of COVID-19, as many of you are aware, Asians were being targeted and being spit on and assaulted and getting racial slurs. And this just devastated me. I was fearful. I was angry. I was discouraged. And it wasn't until others, my non-Asian friends, and one of them being an African-American man, Nathan Payne, our pastor from our Near North location, said to me, Kenson, I want you to know that I am with you. I stand with you. I love you and your family. And I put my name on a statement to protest racism against Asian Americans. You know what? This was not his dog to fight. But because he loved me, he stood with me, he shared in my burden. And it's in that moment I felt the power of what it means to show up. 
the power of the ministry of presence and how my voice and my participation tell others that they are heard, loved, and seen. This is the work of a peacemaker. Let me close by asking you this. How far will you go to make peace? How far will you go? And if you need help answering that, ask yourself, how far did the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, go to make peace with us? All the way to his death. Now, normally, if I can just say, this is not how the world pursues peace. It's not by dying to ourselves or for others, but it's by who carries the biggest stick. You know, for instance, the word peacemaker has been applied to B-36 bombers in the 1950s, that it's been used of a Colt 45 revolver, that these are lethal weapons, and this is what the world equates with peacemaking. It's greater violence. This is not the way of Christ. This is not the way of shalom. Jesus achieved peace not by spilling the blood of others, but it was by spilling his blood for us. And if you are a peacemaker, you will do the same. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To work for peace is to have a family resemblance. It's to look like the Prince of Peace. And do you know what happened to the Prince of Peace? Nails, thorns, a spear to the side. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you're going to take it on the chin. People are not going to be happy with you, calling out their sin, hypocrisy, injustice, and greed. You will get persecuted. You'll be called a troublemaker. You'll be called naive. You'll be called all kinds of names. But can I just say, who cares? Because the only opinion that matters is what God calls you, and he calls you a son and daughter of his. Peacemaking is a journey of boldness, courage, humility, and sacrifice. There is no peacemaking without pain-taking. How far are you willing to go to make peace? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. That when he goes to the cross, we see God's love and justice meeting there at his death. Why? It's so that Jesus could bring peace to all of us. Father, forgive us for having such a narrow and at times very ignorant view of what the peace of God means, that we've made it so selfish, so individualistic, that when this peace of God is meant to go out to every aspect and every part of our lives, of our relationships, of our city, and of our world. God, would you help us as a church to be peacemakers? Would you help us to be pain takers? Would you be, help us to be healers within our city? God, help us not to be a church that is reactive to injustices. Father, help us to be active. Help us to be on the front lines. Father, we cannot do this on our own. So Father, through your Holy Spirit, would it indwell in us, would it fill us, so that we would go out with the Spirit's power and to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, it's been really good spending this time with you. As you all head out and make peace, let me give you this word of blessing. Now to him who can do more than we can ever ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church, in our city, 
and in Christ Jesus for all generations. And all God's people said, Amen. You're loved.